Stories connect us. They build empathy and understanding across difference. Stories are the basic building blocks of community. If you are brave enough to share your story and have the empathy to listen. But when was the last time someone really listened to you or you listened to someone else? Each episode, we choose a theme and stories from our archives of thousands of stories collected using the Facing Projects model. Every story you hear was produced by two people who took the time to listen and share and collaborate on a monologue told from one of their lived experiences. People who listened instead of judged. What if we all sought to understand? This is The Facing Project. I'm J.R. Jameson. I'm Kelsey Timmerman. We are the founders of The Facing Project. So Kelsey, how often do people consider you a bro? I feel like it was just the one time that you said I was a bro. Yeah, so the first time I met you, I immediately got a bro vibe. I don't What's know. What's a bro vibe? Like what? I you know, like I can't really explain it. I feel like I'm going to talk myself into a corner Let's here. Hear it. But there's just Something about the way you carry yourself. Uh, When I first met you, we were at this professional conference and everybody was buttoned up. And you walked in in jeans and a t-shirt and a pair of flip-flops and a name tag that said Kelsey Timmerman, Inc. And you just, you have kind of a Southern California vibe to you. I'm sure you've heard that before. I don't think I said Kelsey Timmerman, Inc. I don't think that, I think that was just probably put on my name tag i think you probably said i mean (laughs) like i i don't brush my hair oh i I use i use my fingers that is true so would a bro brush his hair or what he uses with the comb and product or use his fingers it depends on the bro stop trying to put me in a box i think it depends on the bro but that was the first thing i thought i was like oh boy wow this guy is a bro and i'm gonna have to entertain him like i've been assigned to be the guy who kind of hangs out with you for for the day, and I wasn't sure how I could be myself around you. Why is that? Like, well, because because I'm I'm gay, and I often feel like if people have marginalized identities like myself, it's really hard for us when we are confronted with what we think is the other or different to be ourselves. Often we retract back into. Uh, silence. And I felt like I couldn't show or be my true self in front of you because I wasn't sure how you would treat me or react. It's fascinating because I walked away from our first meeting not thinking, not worried about anything, right? I think I requested you on Facebook and I recruited you to be a writer on the very first Facing Project, Facing Poverty, and I was not worried about anything. Right. And I think... The good thing about that is you open the door to allow me into your life. And over time, I was able to show more of who I am and become comfortable. And now I realize how alike we are. It isn't our differences that separate us. Really, our similarities are what bring us together. And now we spend so much time together that uh, working on the Facing Project that we were at a coffee shop recently and they thought we were married. Yeah, and then I told you the other day that I'm divorcing you. <laughs> I can do so much better. <laughs> well, that's probably true. <laughs> well, this brings us to today's theme, which is connecting across difference. We have two stories for you. The first is a perspective of a woman who grew up in a neighborhood divided. 
and the other is from a mom whose daughter taught her to love and accept who you are. A quick note for our listeners. Today's episode contains racially charged language that we, and the storyteller, Watasha Barnes-Griffin, have decided to leave unbeeped because we feel it's a crucial, real part of the story. It Shouldn't Matter, by Watasha Barnes-Griffin, as told to Seth Carrier Ladd. Performed by Amanda Hummer. Madeline, what you doing? That was the moment everything changed. Madeline was my best friend. We'd known each other since we met in kindergarten, delighted when we figured out that we lived across the street from each other. We noticed, of course, that our skin was a different color. Madeline's white, mine black. But that didn't matter to me. And it didn't matter to her. I mean, we noticed, right? After we became friends, we asked, can I touch your skin and see if it feels different? Which it didn't, really. And of course, can I touch your hair? Which did actually feel different. But outside of those natural curiosities that any kid of that age has, we pretty much just played. Now, I didn't play with Madeline all of the time. Our street was the dividing line. So I always had to choose out the front door to the white neighborhood or out the back door to the black. Two doors in one house, in my house, each door leading to a totally different kind of place. I liked both, safe and at home with my black friends out back, different and interesting white friends out front. My black friends didn't understand. Why you wanna hang out with the white kids, they would ask. Madeline's my friend, I would respond and leave it at that. My grandmother, she'd have white friends over for dinner every so often. And our pastor, he talked all the time at church about how important it was to have friends of every color. And we went to the same school as all these white kids. So their questions didn't even make sense to me. Of course I wanted to hang out with Madeline. She was my friend. I didn't get it. Truthfully, the difference I noticed more between me and Madeline was about class. Madeline's folks were poor as could be, despite living on the white side of the street. And while we weren't well off at my grandmother's house, we always had enough. We always had everything we needed, and we certainly had more than enough love. You could see the difference just looking at our two houses, plunked down between two more well-kept houses, a green one on one side and a yellow one on the other. Madeline's dark gray-colored house looked worn. It had a light gray picket fence around its front yard, with the paint flaking and chipped off in places, and the yard was all dirt. No grass in Madeline's front yard, just dirt. Dirt and two green metal chairs that rocked a bit when you sat in them. And the front porch, can't forget that porch. Covered in junk, end to end from who knows where. Our house, on the other hand, was proud. Two stories of brick with a well-kept front yard, nice pine shrubs on either side of front steps, pillars on the front porch, and of course, a few pieces of nice patio furniture. The class difference showed in other ways too. The way we dressed, for example, my clothes were usually in better shape. Now we didn't care, we played in Madeline's dirt front yard with the green chairs just as often, if not more, than when we played on the nice front porch at my grandmother's house. And we didn't talk about clothes. But we noticed. 
or at least I did. Sometimes I would ask my mama, Mom, you know those shoes I don't wear anymore? Can I give them to Madeline? She really needs some shoes. It only made sense. Madeline was my friend, and she needed stuff. And I had stuff that I wasn't using. And so we continued merrily on our way. It wasn't perfect. No friendship ever is. We had our little fights and disagreements, but never about the color of our skin. And we always worked it out. Kindergarten through fourth grade was pretty great. And then one day, everything changed. It was a nice sunny day. We were sitting out in Madeline's dirt front yard near those green metal chairs, that peeling gray picket fence. We were sitting there playing with dolls, white baby dolls. Two little girls playing, not a care in the world. And then some white man I didn't know, a friend of the neighbors in the yellow house. He shouted out, Madeline, what you doing? Just playing. Why you playing with a nigger? This isn't a nigger, this is Tasha. Looking back, I'm glad that white man didn't push it any further. He just walked away, and Madeline asked, What's a nigger? He's talking about black people. And we left it at that. Now, I don't know if Madeline talked to her parents, but I talked to my mom as soon as I got home and told her what happened. It made me feel bad, Mom. It hurt my feelings. Oh, honey, some people are just like that. Some people see color instead of seeing people for who they really are. In our family, we treat people the way they want to be treated, with kindness, love, and respect. You're beautiful. You're smart. You're intelligent. You're my Tasha. But sometimes other black people call each other nigger. Why do they do that? They shouldn't do it, honey. No one should ever call each other by that name. What she didn't say to me then was as important as what she did. She didn't tell me, no more going back over there to play with Madeline. She never said, you stay away from the white side of the street. She just explained and supported. And so the next day, back I went to play dolls again with my best friend. I've never forgotten, though, before I knew about black and white. After, black and white meant black and white. The thing is, I've never really changed. I've experienced my fair share of racism, so much so, in fact, that I usually just tune out the consistent, regular, repetitive, low-level stuff. But the color of a person's skin still doesn't matter to me. I see it. I know it makes a difference. I talk to my two Black children about how America treats them differently as a Black person, because I have to. But when I meet people, skin color is one of the last things I notice. Just like with Madeline, I see people. I see human beings. I see my friends. Skin color shouldn't matter. That's the way it should be. We have to keep putting in the work to make it so. 
Hearts and Homes, Katie Fleisch's story as told to Kate Devantier, performed by Laura Williamson. I've taken great care in constructing my home. Not the physical house. There's like a one in five chance every day that I'll fall in the parking lot walking in heels to work each morning. So I stay away from hammers and nails when possible. No, I mean home. Not just a material structure, but a feeling of love and acceptance. It's not always an easy thing to construct, but because of my daughter Elizabeth, I found the most amazing community in which to do so. I've learned a lot of things from Elizabeth. Even at seven years old with dark springy curls and a toothy grin, she knows herself better than most 40-year-old women I know. She's so self-aware. Elizabeth is honestly one of the most amazing children I've ever encountered. She's beautiful and smart and funny and talented. She also happens to have been born a boy. Ever since she was able to communicate and have her own personality, I knew there was something different about her. For me, it was a matter of putting the puzzle pieces together and figuring out what it was. But despite all the possible scenarios, transgender never crossed my mind. For a lot of people, that might have been a stumbling block. Luckily, because I'm pretty open-minded, I never had a second thought about it. It took a little time. But for me, there's no question. You just love your kid. We've been transitioning for a few months now. You can see a difference. Elizabeth is really living an authentic life, and she's happy. She started to build a strong foundation for her future home, her own space of love and acceptance. While her transition has been pretty smooth so far, we haven't been without our own cracks in the walls. I've had people state that I have a mental condition and that my children should be taken away by Child Protective Services. It's like there's this gang mentality. People have this preconceived notion about transgender people. They're not real, or it's a disease, or a mental illness, or parents create the situation. They think I took a little boy and put him in a dress. Please, I can't even get my kids to eat broccoli. Elizabeth experiences it too. One little girl told her that Jesus doesn't approve of that. That's not what Jesus wants. Mm, pretty heavy stuff to deal with. She's very sensitive and very loving and compassionate. She wants everyone to like her and be happy. When someone says something hurtful, something she sits and thinks about, it sticks. It's hard to build with crumbling blocks. But this experience has also given us tools. What I've found is I have amazing support. For the most part, we have had the most loving and positive reception. As a whole, the LGBTQ community is so much more accepting and loving than many of us, and I am so honored that they have accepted me as a part of their family. I don't think the LGBTQ community is as small as everyone thinks. I feel like there are other children out there. Their parents are afraid to come forward, or the children are afraid to come forward. I just hope that by being so open and telling our story, it'll show families that it's okay to let your child be who they are. There is a support system locally. 
We can be your home. This community I am a part of is a family of welders, not wrecking balls. We bring things together. We make them stronger. You can't be a weak person or a weak parent and be out like we are. We can be hit with a lot of negativity, but this whole experience has taught me to be more loving and accepting. I see this as an opportunity for me to advocate and educate and maybe create a path for a better future for Elizabeth. It really just boils down to loving your child for exactly who they are. Here's the thing. The whole situation going on in the country right now with all the turmoil and all the hate, it's not really an issue about God or about lifestyle choices or about sin or hell. It's an issue about heart and acceptance. People need to live in their own houses, and if they don't want to visit their neighbor's house, they don't. They especially don't need to vandalize or destroy it. I wouldn't change Elizabeth for anything. This is a girl who, after learning about adoption, cried because there are babies in the world with no parents. This is a girl who spends her time tearing napkins into paper hearts to give to people she just met. This is a girl who hopes that all people, transgender or not, can have a happy life. Some people might take issue with the first four words of the preceding sentences. As her mother, I'm most proud of what comes after. A lot of people have reached out and called her a hero for being brave enough to speak her story, but she doesn't know any different. That's just Elizabeth, and it's been an adventure and just a joy to see her bloom into who she is. I am so blessed to have the community that I do. I am a part of a family of acceptance, kindness, compassion, understanding, and love. These are the elemental stones with which we build our house. If you're ever in the neighborhood, just knock on our door. We are always home. We actually went to the event in Wittenberg where we heard Katie's story. And then during the intermission, we actually had a chance to, to meet Katie. And, you know, the, the line really stood out, you just love your kids. And it was really apparent that Katie loved her daughter, Elizabeth. And this is kind of uncomfortable to admit a little bit. But when I met Katie, I was a little, I was a little surprised. She, this is horrible to say, she seemed like someone who might not be so accepting of, um, us having a son who wanted to live as a daughter and um she was working class maybe a little rough around the edges this is not something that she expected and yet she was just so accepting of her daughter elizabeth i thought that was really amazing i did too i i mean as you just said it was so apparent how much she loved her daughter and is proud of her daughter and it made me realize that you love your kid like that comes out in the story so much in her story you just love your kid for who they are and that i don't even have kids but that was a reminder to me that you have to love other people and you know it's also a reminder to me like i was trying to put her in a box right you know like i was trying to say this is who katie 
is or is not, you know, and it's not a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. What I also found fascinating about these stories and the connection between both of them is this idea of a loss of innocence that happened. In Watasha's story, she talks about the moment when everything changed, when the man who was a friend of the neighbor said the N-word, and her friend didn't know what that was and said, what does that mean? And for her, that's when it all became black and white. And that loss, the change that occurs in someone when something is put out into the universe like that. Yeah. I mean, I, that jumped out at me that kindergarten through fourth grade was great, mm-hmm. right? And then all of a sudden you have this increased awareness that is thrown in their face of their difference. Um, you know, my, my kids, my oldest daughter is in uh, fourth grade. Like, is this going to be her world now? She's stepping into this time of of greater awareness where kids uh, start to point out what is different. You know, my mm-hmm. son Griffin is on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. And right now it's like this real sweet area where you're, where the kids are just amazing to him. But at some point, is that going to change where the kids start to point to those differences? And I mean, the answer is going to be, is going to be yes, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what happens. Yeah. And when Katie talked about the idea that Elizabeth is a confident young girl, but now people are starting to question her existence to her, like the one classmate who pointed out that, you know, God doesn't love children like you, and just how harmful that is and begins to to really just chip away at our structure, our building block. But this idea that also what makes us different also can make us stronger, uh, right? We, we can have strength and show love to the world based on what others may tear down about us. I mean, I think that diversity isn't something that just happens, right? I think we have to take that first step to connect with someone who is different from us and, and to to learn from them and to listen to them. And to have those conversations. I also appreciated the idea of if you don't understand someone and you're not taking the opportunity to understand their story and lived experience, stay in your own lane or stay in your own house. Don't take that opportunity to tear down someone else's existence that we have to stay in our own lanes, but we should keep the door always open for us to have that conversation to learn from each other. I mean, how can you not be inspired by this little girl, Elizabeth, and and these two young girls connecting regardless of their differences? Right. And I mean, I think we have a lot to learn from each of the stories. To start a Facing Project in your community, or to find other Facing Project stories, visit us online at facingproject.com. Or to listen to more episodes of The Facing Project, go to indianapublicradio.org slash thefacingproject. Until next time, we wish you the courage to share your own story and the empathy to listen to others. The Facing Project show is produced by Sean Ashcraft from Indiana Public Radio at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and directed by Laura Williamson and Michael Dane, with editorial assistance provided by Amory Orchard. We are your hosts, Kelsey Timmerman and J.R. Jamison. We'll be back next month with more stories from The Facing Project.